It's finally 2021, and to celebrate, we're offering a New Year's special. Annual memberships are now available at patreon.com slash CFBWinningEdge. By joining us as an annual member, you will save 16%, which is like getting two months for free. We're also offering Tier 2 access to Tier 1 annual members. Help support this podcast, keep it ad-free, and help us fund 2021 updates, improvements, and new projects by becoming an annual member at patreon.com slash CFBWinningEdge. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. It's College Football Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFP Winning Edge. Follow him on the Twitter at CFP Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish. I don't even need to spell it because I listen to one of your podcasts, Xavier, and you don't even spell it. Nope. So if you guys don't know by now, uh, you know, just... Just, just ask if he can't figure out how to spell it, T-R-I-C-H-E. It's not off. So, uh, I'm still going to spell it. I'm sorry. It's part of my routine now. But, uh, you know, we, we've got – there's so much going on. I know we just had the national title game and we reviewed it, and this is supposed to be the downtime of college football. And college football said, absolutely not. There will be no downtime. There is no real offseason. Speaking of which – we are changing up formats a little bit here, Nick. So let's talk about that first before we get into uh, news and notes and all kinds of good stuff. Yeah, so uh, last week after uh, we finished recording, we had a little uh, staff meeting, the three of us, and, and uh, talked about a couple of things that we had, we had discussed a little bit in the past and in the uh, weeks leading up to it. But as maybe some other shows out there are kind of downshifting a little bit, uh, ready for the long off season, taking a little bit of a break, which is certainly, certainly understandable. Uh, however, I think that uh, our listeners are a pretty loyal group and, and pretty plugged in, uh, kind of die hard into the weeds, college football type fans. And, and so I think it uh, makes a, a little bit of sense. And, and, you know, we often, the three of us, I think, uh, keep our plates pretty full all the time anyway. So why not, you know, seems like a good time maybe to add a second show per week. So we will uh, start recording two shows per week. We'll do that on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday uh, starting next week. Our, our Tuesday show will come out January 26th. Uh, and we'll kind of have a, a you know news and discussion show similar to uh, what a lot of our you know first half of the each episode in the off season uh, is you know kind of reacting to any coaching news, transfers, injuries, all, you know all that sort of stuff. Uh, and then uh, that'll probably be an hour or less. And then on Wednesday, uh, we are going to be diving into team reviews and, and early look-aheads for uh, basically all 130 FPS teams. So uh, we're going to be starting at the end of our final uh, team strength power rankings. We're going to go uh, 10 at a time to start and kind of just, you know, dive into uh, one, a little bit more of the analytic tools that we use behind the scenes. We, we talk a bit on these shows and, and have throughout the year 
on our you know team strength power rankings, our, our roster strength numbers, our team performance numbers, and we'll do plenty of that, and, and those are good. But I also do want to you know call attention to uh, some more of the important stats that we use in some of our models, and, and that I think do a pretty good job of uh, describing teams and, and help us. Uh, really kind of, you know, figure out who excelled, who came up a little bit short, where there might be some uh, room for improvement, some signs of trouble, all that sort of stuff uh, as we look at, at all 130 teams. So uh, expect for us to talk uh, in a little bit more detail about things like yards per play, expected points added, uh, points per drive, yards per pass attempt, success rate, uh, margin for all of those. So offensive defensive and, and then the margin, especially for those first four uh, yards per play, EPA, points per drive, and uh, yards per pass attempt. And, and uh, to, to kind of flesh those out a little bit more, talk, you know, add that to our conversation a little bit more. Uh, but that's going to be the bulk of the Wednesday show. And that'll be the, the you know, hour to 90 minutes. Hopefully I, I won't make these guys uh, <laughs> you know, stick it out too much. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited to dive a little bit deeper uh, onto the team side of things. So we'll get the news out of the way and, and sort of our uh, opinion and reaction to those things on Tuesday. That'll hopefully be, you know, 45 minutes, uh, maybe, maybe up to an hour, but we're going to keep that as tight as we possibly can. Uh, one, because you guys have uh, things that you've got to do on Tuesday and we're kind enough to, <laughs> to have the second show uh, when I when I asked you to. And then on Wednesday, we'll be able to, to dive a little bit deeper uh, on each specific team. And, and so I know we have some listeners who are, you know, diehard fans of a particular G5 team or pay close attention to uh, maybe, you know, the American Conference or Conference USA or, or something like that. So uh, one, I think it's important to get a, a a wide view of, uh, you know, all the teams since we do uh, track and, and, you know, keep our FBS team profiles for all 130 teams. And, and it's good to keep an eye on all of them individually, but I do want to, you know, dig a little deeper when we can. And, and even though sometimes these teams, you know, in the, in the triple digits of our power rankings get a little bit forgotten, I do want to dive into some of those because there's some interesting things going on, you know, Transfers, of course, coaching moves, all that good stuff. So we will have plenty, plenty to talk about. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited to move up to two shows. And, and like you said, there there is no offseason in college football, really. And, and uh, certainly for us, we're kind of taking that to heart with, uh, you know, bumping up to a second show next week. Yeah, there's too much going on. There's there's way too much going on right now. Uh, and there always is with 130 teams. There's always pieces moving and all that good stuff. And, and we are obviously going to get into uh, the big coaching news of the week and, um, you know, the the Tennessee situation that has been happening. And I cannot wait to hear your guys' opinion on that. That is going to be a lot of fun. But uh, you're working on an article right now. And look, you know, we're a betting show. We talk about betting and odds have been put out for um, the Heisman in 2021 already. This is the time to go and throw your bets out right now because, uh, the, the odds are just going to get a little worse, especially if a bunch of money gets dumped on one player, that person's going to shoot way up. So Nick, why don't you explain to us this article that you're writing, and then we can talk, uh, about a couple of our favorite bets for the 2021 Heisman. Yeah. So, uh, for the last few years in, in January, uh, I've written a, an early, early, uh, you know, top candidates for the Heisman trophy for the upcoming year. Uh, for athlonsports.com and, and do things for them 
periodically, usually have something uh, up there every you know week or two. Uh, but uh, was kind of kind of slipped my mind honestly uh, earlier in the day. I meant to get it done before lunch, but uh, come you know three in the afternoon, I remembered. Oh, I, I've got to get this done. How today. dare you forget things? I know. I know. Nothing I, going I, on in the real world at all. <laughs> so I, I uh, was was writing it leading into uh, getting ready for the three of us to get together and record and and. Uh, was curious kind of what, what you guys thought about some of these early Heisman names because uh, just looking at the numbers, nine of the top 10 vote-getters from last year will not be around in 2021. Guys are uh, off to the NFL draft. And uh, so I, I put together my top 10 list, as I always do. I put together five wild cards, uh, kind of real outside-the-box uh, candidates. Devontae Smith, of course, kind of uh, – you know, broke a, a longstanding uh, streak of wide receivers having not won the right. award. So my my thought is maybe, uh, you know, maybe that kind of opens the door a little bit for somebody like, you know, two years ago, Chase Young made a, a real push uh, to get in the, you know, was a Heisman finalist and, and was uh, a lot of the discussion was, hey, he's the real best who player. Is, who else has been in the room, by the way? Like, you know, Chase Young was in the room. Obviously, there was no room this year, but there wasn't a defensive player to go in anyway. Uh, Manti Teo is the last one I remember be, yeah. being at the, the ceremony. Was he the last one? So Young finished fourth in uh, 2019. Uh, and, you know, if he hadn't missed two games, I believe it was probably, you know, could have maybe been the, the uh, runner up or, or finished third. But he was definitely in the mix. Quinnen Williams finished eighth in 2018 uh, at Alabama. Uh, Roquan Smith uh, finished 10th in 2017. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Jabril Peppers finished top five in, in 26, uh, yeah, 2016. And they were giving him offensive touchdowns too. They're letting him run in, you know, goal lines and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah. But, but trying to scroll back. Yeah. Teo was the, the last finalist yeah. back in, in 2012, uh, who was a defensive player. And we've had a couple of receivers in the mix there. DD Westbrook was a finalist. Uh, several years ago, Amari yeah. Cooper finished third. So there, you know, there there had been some some non quarterbacks, some non running backs. Uh, get a little bit of of uh, Larry Fitzgerald. Yeah, he was. A lot of people thought probably should have won that uh, that year, but uh, yeah. So you know, maybe maybe with Devontae Smith kind of breaking through, giving us a, a non quarterback, non Alabama running back. Uh, that that maybe there might be a, an outside the box, and there's certainly. I mean, DraftKings is is what I use. I, I live in New Hampshire, and it's available to me there. But they've got a list of what 200 guys. We were just scrolling through it, uh, Scott and I here a, a few minutes ago, and and some are kind of ridiculous names uh, to be on here. But it's it's also good because you know Devontae Smith was not uh, among the the early favorites last year. I did list him in a, you know, players to watch section where I throw about 20 names down, did the same with Joe Burrow, but uh, neither of go, you know, didn't have a little write up or a blurb for them being one of my top 10 uh, candidates, but there are cases I think to be made for guys low on the list who could make a Joe Burrow type jump or a Devontae Smith type jump where they prove that, Hey, I'm, I'm not only the dominant player at my position, but uh, maybe you should start thinking a little bit more about, 
who is really the best player in college football. And maybe Devontae Smith kind of, you know, kept the door open for, for some of those players. Maybe we'll see, uh, a, a, you know, a pass rusher get there like a, like a Chase Young. Maybe uh, there's a, an offensive lineman I'm going to put on the, the wild card list when I, when I finish this post up. So uh, I'm interested as that was going through my mind, kind of what you guys think, if whether it's on this, you know, list of, of DraftKings uh, futures, the, the, hundred or so players that they've got up there or anybody else that comes to mind. I did put a few uh, share, you know, grabbed a few shares, nine different guys currently. Uh, none of them were at the time uh, better than, than 30 to one. A couple of them have, have moved into that range since, but uh, right around the, the day of the national championship game, these popped up. And so I, I did grab a few shares and I'll, I'll share those with everybody. I want to do a little bit more of that in, in 2021 sharing the actual, uh, you know, what I want to bet. Uh, we've, we've done, you know, these are what, what our projections say for these games and, and all of that. But uh, looking ahead, I do want to be uh, a little bit more upfront of this is actually, you know, what I'm betting. So where the uh, money's going. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, so before uh, I, I get into that, I want to, you know, see what do you guys think? What are some, if, if you had to pick maybe, you know, two or three guys, uh, that not necessarily even who you think is going to win it, but where you think there might be some value because some, some of the value to this in me, and, and I'm no expert, I kind of make this up as I'm going along, but I, I've, I treat futures this time of the year as uh, an opportunity to get value and to potentially hedge later. I was looking for guys at 30 to one or less because once the season gets in, you know, rolling, we, we, cut it down to, you know, 10, five, three sort of legitimate people who could win the Heisman pretty quickly within right, the first right. month or two. And at that point, if, if one of my kind of long shots is in that mix of, of 10 or five or three, then I can kind of be more aggressive on the guys that might have a, a, a much better chance of, of getting it. So, you know, Spencer Rattler is the betting favorite right now. I didn't pick up any Spencer Rattler. Yeah, I think he probably should be the favorite. I think he's in the best position, uh, you know, schematically. I think getting his year of experience and all the talent around him. I'm high on Oklahoma, as we all know. Uh, but I don't, mm. I'm not investing in Rattler right now because if he is, you know, a wire to wire favorite, I'll have plenty of opportunities to, to pick that up later. I might lose a little bit of value, but but I feel like there's, yeah, I don't know. You, so, I mean, you had a bet on Devontae Smith uh, going into 2020, didn't you? Uh, I picked up some Devontae Smith shares. He was 50 to one in October, I think it was. I don't, I don't have the date listed. Yeah, I picked up, yeah, picked up a, few short, a few shares of him because at, at that point it was Kyle Trask and Mac Jones and quarterbacks and uh, you know these are who's it going to be Mac Jones, Kyle Trask. There might my my short term memory is is not great right now. I don't remember <laughs> if there's anybody else in the mix, but I remember thinking like, hey, if if somebody's going to make a move, I think Devontae Smith has a good chance. So I did pick up a, a few shares of, of uh, Smith at fifty to one, but. Yeah, I think it was as late as October. It was pretty late. Well, Lawrence the was the favorite before he had to miss the two games, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. he, he Fields was, so- was up there for a, a big portion of that. And when he, when Ohio State came back, and and uh, uh, and especially right when Lawrence went out, right, at that right. point, everybody was like, you know, load up on Fields. Fields is is uh, going to be the guy. But 
huge. But yeah, we know we know how it worked out. But but uh, I, yeah, my initial thought, you know, just looking at the list, and we're on the the DraftKings sportsbook list of, of potential Heisman Trophy winners. I think you're right, and I hate to say it, but Spencer Rattler just seems like a guy that might be made for this type of an award, you know, and we saw him play well the whole year. You know, uh, it's not that I didn't expect it. I just, you know, that there were people that had him so going so high specifically in, you know, what we do, uh, on the other shows, Nick, the college fantasy football side that Rattler was going as a first round pick before taking a snap. I thought that was uh, a little bit crazy, but obviously performed so well. Oklahoma is such a powerhouse that, you know, having him at number one is not surprising. I think I like getting in at uh, Bryce Young at plus 450, I think is a good one. And, you know, I, look, it's less about the Texas, you know, that Texas is my favorite school than it is about what Steve Sarkeesian has done with the offensive players at Alabama that, you know, Bijan is high here. And um, so Casey Thompson is on the list too. I think, you know, Throwing a couple bucks on them wouldn't be bad. You know, Bijan is plus uh, 2,000 at this point, and Casey Thompson is plus 3,300. Uh, Xavier, what are your initial thoughts looking at this list here? Yeah, so I, I, I'm i going to go out on a limb early. I like Brock Purdy at, at plus 8,000 here. I, I really think that Iowa State can make another run at this. You know, we, we look at how they played last season, and we expect Brock Purdy to almost take another leap. Um, you know, last year he was just above a game manager, in my opinion. He he, he made big plays when he needed to, but he wasn't going to lose you a ball game sometimes. I think this year he makes that added step. Nick, Scott, you guys can tell me. Has Charlie Kolar decided to go to the draft yet? I'm not sure if he has or hasn't. He's staying. Okay, so he has his number one weapon back, you know, at receiver, and he has his number one weapon back behind him. I think it's a really good opportunity for him for and for that team to make another run at it. And if they're able to make another run, he's going to get the credit for it. Yes, I know Brees Hall is the bell cow, and you know he, he's the one that's going to probably have maybe the more impressive numbers as the running back, but you're not going to be able to take it away from Brock Purdy if they go – because they have to go in uh, to Oklahoma this year and win that game. You know, And you're going to have some of those Heisman moment type games for him on the schedule this year. Nick, I like – Oh, go, go ahead. Sorry, go I, I like JT Daniels at plus 1800. I think this is a guy who has the talent around him. You know, we, we talked about it, I think, last episode, how many players are returning for Georgia. You know, and, and when you look at the rest of the SEC, how much talent's being lost in the East, Georgia should be the favorite in the East next year. And, and it's going to be a large part because of JT Daniels. Um, and lastly, and once again, another dark horse for me, but we talked about it in last week's episode Desmond Ritter. If Cincinnati does start off in the preseason ranked in the top 10, this is a guy who can run the table. We looked at their schedule last week. Their schedule was very favorable for them to make a run into, you know, to have an argument at the very least for the college football playoff. And that argument will be solidified if they're able to win games behind the arm and the legs of Desmond Ritter. And with him being a dual threat athlete at the quarterback position, it gives him some, some of that uh, dynamic uh, ability that somebody like an RG3 had that's a little bit more impressive for and even a Joe Burrow that's a little bit more impressive for voters to look at you, you know and that that's a, a great point and and the question I was just about to ask Nick uh what what's the highest a G5 player has finished in the Heisman vote we had um 
have we haven't had a G5 winner, have we? Uh, so uh, when they were in the Southwest Conference, which I guess might have been, uh, yeah, that was considered a power conference at the time, but current G5 program, uh, Houston, Andre Ware won it. Mm. Uh, Ty Detmer won it at BYU when they were in the WAC. Uh, those are the, the first two that come to mind. It's 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 been a while. We haven't seen a, a G5, really a, a legitimate candidate finalist type player in a while i mean does rock does roger starbuck starbuck count at navy <laughs> yeah, i mean they were, they were 1963 yeah if you gotta well, go uh back before 1990 i would say you know let, let's maybe go uh only right. last 30 years you know yeah, i mean uh, a little more recently keenan reynolds finished fifth in in uh 2015 maybe okay. mm-hmm. uh, uh let's see i mean you know randy moss was a finalist at, oh. at marshall uh, Jordan Northern Illinois, mm-hmm. Steve McNair, absolutely FCS, you know, uh, Alcorn State, Alcorn State mm-hmm. at, at the time. So we, we've, you know, we've we've seen some guys make a run at it, and I I think that Ritter certainly could. I mean, he fits in that group. I, I would say that. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he, he played well enough, and, and Cincinnati makes the tourney. Like he'll, he'll he'll definitely be getting some run for sure. Yeah. Or even if they, you know, if, if they come up short, what they we talked about it last week, they play Notre Dame and Indiana, right? So it, maybe they finish with one loss, even if they finish with two losses. Uh, he could, one, he, he runs, is, is a great runner. So he could put a double-digit rushing touchdowns, could potentially, if everything clicks, uh, you know, get toward a, a thousand rushing yards. And he's really made a lot of improvement as a passer. So I think that they're certainly – an opportunity for him to put up some, you know, pretty, pretty big passing numbers as well. So I think he would get it maybe from just pure, a pure statistical standpoint. Uh, even if, if, you know, Cincinnati doesn't run the table and, and make it to the playoff, uh, it, that's, that's possible. I'm not sure Cincinnati, the way their offense is, is structured is, is, uh, you know, built quite for that. I mean, he'd have to maybe put up some, uh, RG three type numbers, and, and we just haven't seen Cincinnati quite be able to do that quite yet. But uh, you know, I, I think among G five candidates, he's certainly at the top of the list in, in my opinion. Uh, I like um, these Ohio State whiteouts uh, at ten thousand uh, plus ten thousand here. Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. We don't know who's going to be throwing them the ball on a consistent basis as it stands right now. So that makes them uh, kind of a long shot, but I like those odds. They're both uh, great, great wideouts, enormous big red zone target guys in Wilson and Olave. I think those ones are pretty solid as well. So uh, anything else to finish up the, uh, the Heisman futures talk here, Nick? Well, on that note, I'm glad you brought up Olave because he, there are a lot of, parallels between he and Devontae Smith, right? I mean, he, he is been mentioned in, in the last few weeks and months as a potential first round pick yet decided to come back for his true senior season. Uh, it, it's possible. And yeah, he'll have to have a new quarterback and maybe that's going to be a true freshman. There seem to be, you guys were sharing with me some, some rumors of maybe a, a potential grad transfer uh, to Ohio State uh, this year. We'll have to see how that all plays out. But, yeah, Olave could absolutely explode statistically like we saw Devontae Smith. I think Garrett, you know, having Garrett Wilson there might hurt him a little bit. Uh, Devontae Smith really uh, strangely took a step 
forward toward true Heisman contention when Jalen Waddle went down. Uh, when Waddle was out there, it was you know not quite as clear that Smith was just absolutely dominant. Uh, but you know, Olave absolutely, I think has a, has a lot of parallels for me specifically. I'll let you guys know some of the some of the speculation. You know, when, when, I'm, when I'm out there speculating. Uh, this this time of the year, I, I did pick nine nine guys to just throw a little bit of uh, early futures money on, and most of them are very very small, but they're you know have the potential if if things work out for a, a bigger payday. So Xavier mentioned Brock Purdy; he was first on my list, first guy I went after. Uh, I picked up a, a, a couple of shares at roughly eighty to one on uh, him because I agree, even though Bright, uh, Brees Hall is, you know, nation's leading rusher coming back, uh, the only top 10 boat getter coming back uh, in 2021, finished sixth last year. I agree that if uh, Iowa State emerges as a playoff contender, emerge, you know, potentially wins the Big 12 and, and is in that competition, Purdy's going to get a lot of that credit, even though Hall kind of has the inside track among non-quarterbacks and even among you know, all players coming back as the, the top returning vote getter. I think Purdy has a, a good shot to kind of uh, edge him out as far as the Iowa State vote could go. Uh, I picked up a, a couple of shares of Bijan Robinson uh, because, you know, Steve Sarkeesian is is now calling plays there, has shown a track record, of course, with Devontae Smith, among others, of getting his best players the football. Uh, seems like Robinson is going to, uh, you know, have a lot more opportunities in, in 2021 than he did yeah. as a freshman in, in 2020. Uh, I did pick up a couple of shares of Brees Hall again. I mean, he was, he was, uh, when I, when I found it at 40 to one, basically. And, and as the top returning vote getter, again, I'll say it, you know, seems like his odds should be a little bit better than that. So, yeah. uh, I picked up some George Perkin, uh, George Pickens, excuse me. George's wide receiver. Uh, Xavier mentioned, uh, you know, JT Daniels. And for the same reasons as, as Brees Hall, yeah, he, he probably would get the credit if Georgia really does emerge as a playoff contender, national championship type contender. But George Pickens is one of the most talented receivers in college football. Could put together a Devontae Smith type here. Who knows? Uh, so I thought there was some good value there. I got Tyler Goodson at 151, the Iowa running back. Iowa, I think, is going to be our uh, highest-rated Big Ten West team, so they could potentially, you know, make it to the Big Ten uh, title game. Could be undefeated or have one loss. Could be in position to upset Ohio State or whoever it is. Uh, and and it seems to me that Goodson would be uh, really the person they would lean on if that were to be the case offensively. So I think there's some value there. I threw a little bit at. Uh, um, Dorian Thompson Robinson, UCLA's quarterback. I know people are really split on him. Has a lot of uh raw Javier just threw up when you said that, by the way. Made some uh you know steps forward this year. I think UCLA is potentially gonna gonna be right there on the edge of the top twenty-five team in our, our early twenty twenty-one power rankings when we get those in March. And you know, he's an experienced quarterback, seems to maybe be coming into his own. Uh, so I think there's a, a little bit of value there. That's a the longest shot of, of all of these. But at 150 to 1, I thought was worth a, a little bit. But the one that I'm the most excited about, 
And since I, I, he's actually the one I'm most invested in at, at this point. So uh, I'm hoping this, this, you know, <laughs> I, I'm hoping things could work out here, or at least he could emerge as one of those top five guys and create some some value uh, for some hedging opportunities later. But Ole Miss quarterback Matt Corral, and I pick, I got him at, at uh, roughly forty three to one. But my thinking is, one, he had a, a huge year this year, and Elijah Moore is gone, but. Most every yeah, and Kenny Boa, the tight end, but most everything else is back. Ole Miss has recruited pretty well before Lane Kiffin, and Lane Kiffin is, is uh, of course, a tremendous play caller. Ole Miss, because uh, Auburn has a new head coach, Texas A&M's losing a lot of production at quarterback and on defense. LSU is recovering from a really, really disappointing national championship defense. Ole Miss might have an opportunity to be the top challenger to Alabama in the SEC West. They could potentially, I think it's possible, not saying it's likely by any means here, but I could see a path for a double-digit winning season for Ole Miss, for a top 15 type season for Ole Miss. And if that's the case, then maybe Corral, who did run for over uh, 500 yards, had four touchdowns on the ground in addition to, what, 3,500 uh, passing yards and, and 30 touchdowns. He could be that statistical guy who just puts together just incredible eye-popping numbers. So he's actually come down a bit. Uh, he's now 33 to one. So uh, I got him at 43 to one. So there's less value now, but that's my, that's my big bet is uh, Matt Corral. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit invested in, in him. I think there's a long shot. Of course, all these are long shots, but uh, I, I like the the set of scenarios I was at least able to come up with to sort of justify him being a, a you know top ten, maybe even top five Heisman contender. And uh, hey, we'll see what happens. But he's he's my favorite bet so far. Since the name Matt Corral came out of your mouth, uh, Xavier has not stopped shaking his head. Now, like he just I don't know if it's an unconscious thing or if it's a purposeful Xavier. Uh, but but you cannot stop shaking this off. But this is what makes this fun. It's early in the preseason. The guy's at 150 to one. What's the problem with throwing 10 bucks on him? You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, what were you going to do with that 10 bucks anyway? So go get something bucks. useful. Uh, OK, all right. <laughs> you know, but but he just laid it out for you how it could happen. He's not saying it's going to happen uh, and things would have to break the right way. We also just got oh. our first. uh you know, wide receiver winning the Heisman since what year was Desmond Howard? 91 or whatever. So, uh, you know, uh, these things can happen. Not saying they're going to, but Xavier, you said you have three long shots. Who are the long shots that you got? I, I got cloudy after the whole Matt Corral situation. My bad. Hold on. Give me two <laughs> seconds to get back to it. Um, While he's doing that, one I forgot, 151. Uh, Kayvon and we were talking about Chase Young yeah. and I think that you know maybe that helps at the stage of oh hey we're really gonna uh, give the Heisman to the best player in college football Kayvon Thibodeau is is in that mix uh, I think will be next year has a path to be that Chase Young type finalist and maybe this is the year maybe he does something amazing enough to get you know, get enough votes. Uh, and I'd be interested to see Will Anderson, Alabama's uh, you know, true freshman 
pass rusher from from this past year. Oh, It'd be okay. interesting to see it. some some real long shot odds on him because I think he's just as good, if not maybe a little bit better. As Is his name play. not on this list? I mean, I most college football players in the country are on this list. <laughs> So that's what I said. I said, did Phil, did Phil Steele write this? You know, we love Phil Steele, but he puts, you know, maybe uh, two to 300 guys on his Heisman list uh, every single year. You know, the print gets small enough to where you need a magnifying glass for it. So uh, Xavier, uh, did, did you find your, your three guys? Yeah. All right. Let's hear him. Yeah. So uh, call me a homer. But once again, I'm going to go with a Georgia player. I really like Zamir White. I think this is a kid that could have a really, really good junior year. Um, if Georgia, once again, if Georgia is a team that runs the table, JT Daniels, Georgia, even with a great quarterback like JT Daniels, Georgia is going to run the football. The only issue I have with Zemir White, and the only reason why I wouldn't put significant amounts of money on him, is because James Cook is also in that backfield. Other than that, Zemir White's a guy who can easily go for 1,200 yards next year and rush for also 15 touchdowns. I mean, he rushed for 11 this year. This is a guy who could easily do that and be the best back in the SEC going into next year. Another guy, and I think, you know, because Trevor Lawrence is gone, a lot of people have doubted the receivers at Clemson, but EJ Williams, I love him. I think this is a guy who could really take college football by storm next year. CFF next year for fantasy, he's yeah. going to be a guy that I you, you should be you should be picked, period. He's going to put up numbers. I know that they're only going to have – that DJ's going to be at quarterback next year. However, this is a kid who's going to put up numbers regardless. He's athletic. He's a, he's a pretty – Damn good route runner as well. I really like his game so far. He's going to be a guy who's a first-round talent, in my personal opinion. And I might get a weird look from Nick, just like he gave me from Matt Corral. But Graham Mertz, go ahead and put it out there. I think Wisconsin is a team that is going to bounce back from a really poor year this year. I think COVID really hurt them offensively. I think the fact that they lost so much talent going into this year, uh, whether due to the draft or transferring, as well as having a freshman quarterback, really hurt them offensively. And I think that that's the reason why they were so poor. They were still great defensively, which I think that's going to carry into next year. I was looking at the roster strength numbers for their for their matchups next season. They only have two games where they're the lower team in roster strength, and that's against Ohio State uh, – or excuse me, that's against Notre Dame and Michigan uh, next year. They don't face Ohio State at all. This is a team that could absolutely uh, run the table in their conference given the time – uh, and a true offseason for Graham Mertz this is a kid who came in with so much hype. And yes, he underperformed last year, but I think that's perfect for a kid that you put, you know, five, ten dollars on, and especially with a team that's surrounded, that's so talented, and that's going to be focused so heavily on defense. He doesn't have to do much. He just hasn't had to like lose the game for him like he like he did this year. I think Graham Mertz is a sneaky pick there as well. So so you're gonna take the quarterback on Wisconsin instead of the running back, and you're gonna give Nick crap. We're taking from a Lane Kiffin offense. Okay. Yeah, I yeah. just want to make yeah, sure yeah. that uh, yeah, you know, we're, we're all, this is all of us. Uh, we're all like Shaq shooting free throws right here. You know, <laughs> we're building a house with these bricks that we're throwing up here, but uh, we're, we're going to get it done. Uh, Xavier just took we'll, a quarter. We'll this, uh, in December when we have Heisman trophy winner, Matt Corral. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, I mean, now let's not get cocky. You know, let's not get cocky, Nick. I mean, come on. You know, I I think there might be a better chance Thibodeau winning the Mac crowd. Seven and four. Yeah, seven I mean, let's just hope that Ole Miss finishes above five hundred this year for him to even have a shot at that. So, uh, but but we have some uh, news and notes that happened this week. A lot of stuff. So let's start here uh, because I think this is such a great hire for Marshall Nick. Uh, they they hired uh, Alabama running back coach Charles Huff as their new head coach. Uh, this is. 
uh, a stud in recruiting, a guy that recruited Saquon Barkley to Penn State and then helped him uh, train to become uh, the running back that he is now. Uh, obviously, Najee Harris in the running as well uh, has has his fingerprints on a lot of stud RBs and players just overall. Uh, I've never seen one bad word talked about this guy. I think this is a great hire for Marshall, and I think they did a great job here. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, we've seen you know so many Alabama assistants over the years get head coaching jobs, and and uh, you know seemed like they were absolutely ready for it. But some of them maybe were a little bit too big uh, at first. One we'll be talking about uh, just got fired uh, a couple of days ago, right? Uh, you know, yeah. Jeremy Pruitt at, at Tennessee. Uh, it's a big job. You know, even Kirby Smart at Georgia was a little bit more of a, a natural fit because of his ties there but that's a big job and, and it's you know pretty uh pressure packed and it's difficult for a first time head coach and and so you know sometimes an Alabama assistant is is absolutely prepared for it and, and ready to go uh but you know I think in in some cases a job can be too big and it's kind of set up for them to fail so we shouldn't be all that surprised when it's oh Nick Saban is whatever, 103-0 and 0 against his uh, former assistants. But uh, you look at this, and Marshall is a, a good, you know, it's, it's well, he's set up for success, not only because, one, he's, he's been a great recruiter. He's been on some, uh, you know, really high-quality staffs, has been around uh, some great players, spent a season in the NFL, so he's got that experience as well. I like that he has an offensive line uh, coaching background. When he first got into coaching at Tennessee State in 2006, he was an offensive line coach, uh, spent, you know, four years, five years coaching mostly on the offensive line, and, and then uh, eventually, you know, really found a, a role as running backs coach and assistant head coach. But, uh, you know, uh, Marshall is set up for success. They were a Conference USA, you know, championship contender this year. Spent a little time in the AP top twenty-five. They have a history of success, and so he's stepping into a situation where the, you know, as a G five program, the expectations are there. I mean, they they let Doc Holliday go after uh, a really excellent, uh, you know, career, but. The, the expectations are not going to be, hey, win the national championship or, or you know, win uh, the conference title year in and year out and, and you know, get us back on, on level footing with Alabama like everybody else in the SEC who's hired Saban assistants in the past. So I, I think he's set up because he's going to inherit some talent. Uh, he's got, you know, a quality quarterback to build around offensively. Uh, Marshall has had success at running back both finding some some under the radar guys and, and developing them into uh, you know potential draft picks. Brendan Knox is probably going to be uh, an NFL draft pick has an NFL future. I would think uh, he did leave early, but you know, guys like Sheldon Evans, knowledge McDaniel are, are going to be back uh, has some other weapons as well to go around Grant Wells on offense. And, and it's going to be interesting to see how the offensive line shakes out. They did have five senior starters this year. And I know, Josh Bell uh, has already declared for the NFL draft. I'm, I'm waiting to hear on guys like Kane Madden and, and Alex Millette, who are uh, all CSU, uh, CUSA offensive linemen, and, and kind of need to see where some of the, the guys on defense 
shake out as well. They've got a couple of seniors in the secondary specifically, uh, but for the most part should be a, a pretty veteran defensive unit. But anyway, you know, there there's some talent on hand. He's going to be able to recruit. He, he's shown an ability uh, to coach guys up. He's got experience in multiple positions. He's young. He's, he's under 40 years old. Uh, so I, I, I do like this, this hire for a lot of those reasons. And, and, you know, I, I knew a little bit about Charles Huff, obviously, you know, bigger names, uh, more, more well-known to me on that Alabama staff, but he's, he's put in his, his, uh, you know, he's paid his dues in a lot of places, uh, has, uh, provided, you know, has produced some really, really good players, has learned a lot along the way, and it seems like he's ready for this opportunity. So I think it's a great hire. Xavier, what do you think of Huff going to Marshall? Yeah, I think it's an amazing hire, personally. You know, we had heard that they were thinking about going ahead and trying to get Byron Leftwich. I just thought that that was going to be too hard of a situation for them to do. Obviously, Tampa Bay still in the playoffs. So I just thought that situation was just going to be dire for them. because I think Lefty's going to get NFL jobs. Yeah, I just thought that that was a real shot in the dark. Um, And I really like this for them. Charles Huff is a guy who's earned his stripes at, you know, Equal, uh, arguably the greatest university for college football as of right now. And, and I think that when you're able to get a guy, you know, that low on the totem pole and, and but has the pedigree that he carries, it's always a good thing because now he's allowed to grow, build his own, rep, you know, build his own pedigree as a head coach at your university. And this is a guy, like Nick said, Nick hit it all on the head. He's bringing recruiting pedigree that he's going to be able to carry from Alabama. He's bringing coaching pedigree. He's got guys in the league. I mean, he's coming in with rings and everything that you could imagine uh, and hope that a head coach comes into with a university that wants to take the next step. You know, they didn't fire their coach because he was bad. They fired him because, or they mutually agreed to leave because, you know, they felt that he couldn't get them over the, the metaphorical or the literal hump that, you know, they weren't doing, you know, and, and this is a guy who now can do that can come in and, and build that. And I think Marshall's a great place to start. This is a team that recruits well. It has been coached up well before he got here and I think will be. And once again, Marshall is a team that in the G5 level carries a name with it that, uh, you know, is synonymous with being atop the conference or at least right there in contention for it. So I think this is a great step for him as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm excited about this hire. You know, this is his, uh, First stop before becoming the Texas head coach in three years. Oh, uh, I'm, ju- I'm just saying, you know, we'll see the way so Texas has gone now. All of a sudden. Uh, no, well, I'm just saying, look, the way Texas has been so impatient. This is the, these are the things that they do. Hopefully not. Hopefully Sarkeesian, you know, wins multiple national championships and I don't have to worry about it. It's just uh, so, uh, we'll see though. I mean, obviously that is yet to be played out, but I tell you, the other UT uh, not in a good spot right now at all, guys. Uh, they fired Jeremy Pruitt after, uh, you know, not th- three great, you know, okay seasons. He made one bowl game that I think they went to the Gator Bowl, uh, yeah. last year. That was it. They were eight and five, but they were five and seven his first year, three and seven this year. And they said that they are firing him with cause because, uh, of inappropriate. Uh, recruiting practices. There's now stories about, uh, you know, McDonald's bags being filled with cash and, and things like that. Um, you know, a, a lot of, I read an article, um, I think it was by Bruce Feldman on the athletic who, who was talking about uh, how, look, you know, if Pruitt had been winning uh, all the time, then 
this would not have been an issue, this recruiting thing. So, but uh, they are going to save some money by firing with cause, but he's going to fight it. So it is an ugly situation at Tennessee. Uh, you know, AD's leaving, they're bringing in somebody new. It is an absolute mess. Xavier just dropped the, uh, this is fine meme, uh, for, for Tennessee. And it, it's an ugly situation, Nick. How, how do you feel about, uh, Pruitt being, uh, given the boot and what is going on at Tennessee right now? Well, I mean, the, the timing is, is obviously, uh, not great. I mean, with, uh, the early signing period already have, have passed. Uh, I've made some coaching hires. I mean, Kevin Steele hired as, as defensive coordinator. Uh, sounds like maybe just based on some reporting, some other rumblings that maybe, uh, you know, Steele was brought in kind of knowing this might be the case that he would step in and be the uh, acting head coach, the interim head coach. And, and sounds like, I mean, he's the betting favorite right now uh, to, to take over the job, at least for the 2021 season. So we've, we've heard, uh, you know, some other names, of course, pop up immediately, but uh, in the short term, at least, you know, Kevin Steele is going to be taken over there. But, you know, this is, this is something that had been uh, in the works for a while, been rumored, we'd, we'd heard about, uh, you know, recruiting violations and, and things like that. And, and I guess I just stopped paying attention to it or other things were going on during uh, bowl season and, and the national championship and, and all and I guess I just thought maybe enough time had passed that maybe Pruitt was going to be able to, to hang around. But, uh, yeah, on, on what, Saturday night, we, we started hearing more, hey, things are really ramping up. And, and then by Sunday, uh, he was out. And he's obviously going to fight it as, as uh, you know, lawyers have, have released statements and all this. And uh, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. It's absolutely going to get ugly, I'm sure. But just from a, a pure football uh, perspective, you know, I'm, I'm uh, I was a, uh, a believer that Jeremy Pruitt could get it done at, at Tennessee. And, and maybe I had just bought into too many, you know, Saban assistants moving on and, and becoming first time head coaches. But uh, I'd really been impressed with a lot of the work that he did as a defensive coordinator, had success, you know, won a national championship at Florida State before he moved on to Georgia, had some success there. And then, of course, uh, at Alabama a couple of times. So, uh, you know, I, I thought that he was going to be able to, to get Tennessee uh, playing really, really strong defense. And, and they certainly have had some level of success there, but the offense never really could get going. And, and then if you make uh, decisions like it, it seems that he made off the field to get the program in uh, some real hot water that could have some long-term effects, you know, who knows when we'll, we'll find out what sort of ramifications there are, but it, it's not looking good uh, for, you know, the long-term future there as far as, maybe scholarships or, or, you know, what have you. So uh, seems like Tennessee is now in a bigger hole than they were when Pruitt was hired. And it, you know, he didn't do a, a really advance uh, Tennessee much past, if at all, uh, where, you know, Butch Jones left it. So certainly not a, a great situation. I do think that Tennessee could uh, with the right, you know, right head coach, get back to being an SEC East contender. They certainly want to win bad enough uh, to, to invest in the program enough to, to get that done, but just haven't been able to put the right pieces in place and, and get everything moving in that direction yet. So from a, a football perspective, 
yeah, Tennessee is is not much better off now than it was uh, a few years ago when he was hired, and, and disappointingly so. But from a long term perspective, this this is gonna it's gonna leave a mark probably. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, we we make fun of Tennessee on this show, uh, obviously. Uh, Xavier and Nick being from Georgia, you know, Georgia, Tennessee has always been uh, a nice big rivalry there. Uh, you know, they also call themselves UT. I call them the fake UT or the real UT, you know, all, all, all this stuff. But Tennessee has some of the best fans in the and most loyal fans in the country. They may have absurd expectations of this team uh, seemingly every year, but I think you can tell that this this program has gone backwards because they're not going to get the preseason love that they have in the past. It didn't matter if they were going to be a 500 team. They were always going to get some national championship buzz because their uh, fan base is so enormous. They usually recruit well, and just you can see the passion for the volunteers. So it really sucks to see that this program go backwards like this, Xavier. And I, I know you may be uh, enjoying it now, but uh, they're, they're going to get back. They're going to get back on top. Peyton Manning apparently is going to be uh, involved in this coaching decision. So what did you feel? Uh, how do you feel about them firing Pruitt? And how do you see them uh, kind of getting back up to what we expect from Tennessee football? Yeah. I mean, I didn't like the Pruitt hire from the beginning. I thought they should have gone with Shiano. I know everybody in the world was like, what are you doing? But look at what he's done. At, look at what he's doing at Rutgers right now. Not saying Rutgers is, you know, Tennessee by any means, but I thought he was going to be a better coach and a, and a better caretaker uh, of the university uh, than Pruitt was. I, and, and I felt like he was going to do it the right way. I think Tennessee, once again, tried to go for the jugular. You know, they, they tried to get a guy whose pedigree suggests that he should have come right in, right in and hit the ground running. They tried this with Kiffin. They've tried this before. It doesn't. It has not worked for them in the past. And I think that this is a time for them to hit the reset button. It is time for them to, to, to look at themselves in the mirror and go, you know what? We've tried to go with the big hire. We tried to go with the big name and you know that, that has the pedigree that's gone to different universities and or gone to different big name universities. And it's time to hit the the, the caretaker button and you know get a guy in who's going to you know try to to to, to rehabilitate the university football wise and. and really do it internally, you know, and, and get kids in to, to, to booster, uh, excuse me, bolster the reputation of Tennessee. That's taking a real big hit right now. I mean, it, a lot of SEC fans were like, that's it. When we, when we saw the whole McDonald's with cash in the bag, uh, with cash in the McDonald's bag ordeal, but at the same time, it's still not a good look for your university. Yes. You know, it's not as big as, you know, what we, what we maybe heard from Ole Miss a couple of years ago or what may be happening at LSU right now or whatever, but, it's still a bad look for the university that's already going through its own turmoil on the field. And I think that that's what they've got to get back to. Uh, the, 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 the other thing is that they've got to get back to the recruiting trail. Yeah. By they, the way, as we're talking, Henry Toyoto has just uh, entered the transfer portal. Exactly. Yeah. That's huge. Oh, he's one of the best players in college. In college football. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Come to Georgia, baby. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, we, we could use you money right left for the draft. We needed to start in time linebacker. Come to Georgia. Uh, you know, and, and that's something else you saw that they started when these situations started happening. Tennessee was no longer able to recruit their own state anymore. And if you know college football, you know the Tennessee is a hotbed for talent in high school football. And when they're struggling to recruit, you know, to recruit their own state, it's it's not 
it's not a good look, especially when the only other school that challenges you in your state is Vanderbilt, you know, or or, or Memphis, you know. So Tennessee's got a, a ways to go. I also don't like that former step down in, the, in this moment. I think they could really use, you know, him to guide them through this next couple of years. I think it's weird that he stepped down, but they're going to pay him through 2023. But, uh, you know, you know, and, and, and you know, I, I just don't they're holding on to something that no longer exists. And that was 2000. What was it when they won a national title? 2000, 2001? Or was it before that? 98? Yeah. So they're holding on to something that isn't there anymore. You know, I, I appreciate Peyton Manning being a part of this pros- process, but maybe they should just be looking at building it, you know, from the ground up and not get another Tennessee um, big name to help them in this process. You try to do it with Fulmer by making him the AD. Look how it's gone. I think Tennessee's. They're just trying too hard to get back to the glory days and forgetting that the foundation of that glory days was taking a chance on, you know, these people. And so I think they really have to get back to, to ground zero and, and start from scratch. And I know Tennessee fans don't want to hear that. That might mean, you know, a couple of six and six seasons again. Y'all need to do that to build again. Yeah, it seems like they're going to get that anyway. So um, might, might as well just go ahead and uh, punch the reset button on it. So a uh, couple other uh, little coaching news and notes moving right along here. Uh, it's possible that we might get another head coaching job opening because uh, new Chargers head coach Brandon Staley is targeting Akron head coach Tom Arth uh, for his staff. So we'll see uh, if he ends up leaving Akron. We may not have another job and. I mean, if we do, we should hopefully should know by next week, and we'll definitely be talking about Akron next week when we're uh, talking about those bottom dwellers uh, for sure. Alabama you know, won't just have one former NFL head coach on their staff as Nick Saban has gotten uh, Bill O'Brien to come and be his OC, but uh, Jaguars head coach Doug Marone, former head coach, is going to become the Alabama offensive line coach, and I know Xavier is going to love this one. South Carolina, uh, former South Carolina head coach Will Muschamp has been spotted at Georgia in recent days and could become a member of Kirby uh, Smart's staff. So, uh, Nick, your thoughts on any of those uh, possible coaching moves? I've been interested by the uh, former John Carroll, Chattanooga uh, coaching pipeline that's going on in the NFL right now with with, uh, uh, Staley, of course, getting hired and, and then uh, I forget where he was before, but the, the new uh, – he was with the, the Rams, right? The, yeah, the it was the Rams. And the new Kentucky offensive coordinator uh, was was there as well, Was was worked under Tom Arth at Chattanooga and, and John Carroll as well, I believe. And, and so Arth, you know, former boss, uh, seems to have taken – uh, a, a, you know, different path and had less success, of course, uh, but have a, potentially an opportunity to get to the NFL and kind of reset his – uh, career a little bit would be a, an, an interesting move. And, and Akron, you know, Arth has come in and, and uh, basically you talk about building from the ground up has, has had to do that. And they made some strides this year, got a win. He does only have one win in two seasons as a head coach, but uh, seemed to be building a foundation there. So I'm, I'm interested to see whichever direction this goes, because obviously Arth has had an eye for talent about, you know, you know identifying coaches and, and, uh, has has uh, worked with guys who've gone on to great success and become uh, highly sought after in, in you know the SEC as a, a play caller and now in the NFL as a head coach. So kind of interested to see how that uh, plays out. I've seen 
you know, everybody made the same joke on Twitter that uh, Nick Saban has gotten tired of rehabbing uh, fired, you know, power five head coaches as analysts and, and assistants and, and whatnot. And now it was uh, rehabbing uh, fired NFL head coaches. But, you know, it, it kind of fits kind of crazy to think that two guys that were head coaches in the NFL uh, earlier this year will be assistance uh, in, in the SEC. Just uh, it doesn't quite. It, it seems it seems remarkable that that uh, a guy would be an offensive line head coach in college who was a, an NFL head coach just a couple of weeks ago. But you know, uh, Al, you can learn from the greatest college head coach of all time, one of the greatest football coaches of all time, and uh, good opportunity to to kind of reset a career and, and put you on a path toward. Uh, the next next big job, and then you know Will Muschamp has uh, has that University of Georgia degree hanging in his office, and uh, has been a, a friend of Kirby Smart's since their days uh, playing for the Bulldogs, and, and coached together at Valdosta State, among other places, LSU under Saban, of course, and and with the Dolphins, uh, both of them were there, so uh, it makes sense. They're longtime friends, and and, and uh, Muschamp seems primed for one of those analyst type roles. Georgia does have an opening uh, in the secondary for an assistant. So it's possible he could slide into that. I did see just before we started to record uh, that, that he specifically has not been hired, but it sounded like he might move into the defensive coordinator uh, spot. There, there had been some whispers that Georgia might be uh, losing its defensive coordinator to Texas. Uh, that ended up not, not uh, working out, but, uh, it sounds like, you know, Muschamp has an opportunity to be close to the program, whether it's an analyst. Uh, his son is is uh, a walk-on at Georgia, so uh, connection there in addition to Kirby Smart. So I uh, absolutely uh, expect, you know, it's every sign is pointing towards he's going to be uh, there in some capacity, whether it's as a position coach, whether it's as a you know, co-coordinator or something maybe, uh, or whether he's just an analyst, kind of takes a year to uh, step out of you know that that higher pressure job as a head coach or, or even a coordinator uh and uh, just kind of be you know one of the guys on the staff and, and georgia i think uh could benefit from that uh, he is a, a great defensive mind uh has had a lot of success uh, coaching defense in the past uh but also probably be good for will muschamp to, to take a little bit of a step back uh in his one year where he wasn't a head coach after getting fired from florida Jumped into you know defensive coordinator job at Auburn, uh, pretty you know pretty pretty big job there uh, as a non head coach position, but uh, something in the analyst role or, or maybe even if it's just coaching DBs or, or coaching inside linebackers, sounds like there might be some movement there as well. Uh, probably be good for Will Muschamp in the long run. Could just be hanging out with his buddy too. I mean, we'll we'll we'll, we'll see what happens there. But uh, Xavier, your thoughts on these coaching moves? Yeah, I mean, I, I love Doug Marone going to the, the rehab central, head to <laughs> Alabama, be rehabilitated, then get a job at UCLA in like three years. I mean, it, it, it works. I mean, it's been proven time and time again. If you want to rehabilitate your career and your ability to coach, go to Alabama. This is just what you do. Heck, me and Nick and Scott need to go to Alabama as, you know, water technical engineers and just learn some things from Saban at this point. Who knows? We might end up at, you know, uh, UTSA in a couple of years. I mean, I, I, at this point, anybody who goes to Alabama ends up with a job in like three to four I years. I hope I don't pick up his uh, his crappy interactions with reporters. I, I hope I don't pick that up. <laughs> uh, 
I mean, his media relations aren't great. He won't. He won't let you talk to reporters. No, not at all. Oh, yeah. that's, okay. that's right. Yeah, that's true. right it's right, just right. him, and yeah, just him. But at this point, I love the move for Maroon. <laughs> um, I actually love the Mel's champ possibility. I think that him not as our DC is perfectly fine. Keep him away from the DC position for right now. Let him wait. You know, Georgia is not a rehabilitation plant by any means. People typically come and go from Georgia like every other year. You know, Mel Tucker, Jeremy Pruitt, just to come, you know, especially on the defense side of football. But I would like to see him as the DB coach. I mean, Will Muschamp has consistently put out good DBs. So I think that, once again, it's an opportunity for him to rebuild his name you know georgia brings in heck you know, a bunch of db talent and if he's a lot if he's able to get a couple of those guys to go first round you know maybe one of them ends up as you know a couple of them end up as an all-american candidate or all-american this is a guy who obviously will be right back out there in the coaching ranks in a couple of years as well i would love to see him as a db coach and i think nick you hit it right on the head it's an ability for him to step away from being the head coach which i think is the best thing for will muschamp he is not a head coach as of right now and he needs to take a step back. But it also gives us another person on the coaching staff who has been a head coach who may understand the process a little bit better as well. All right. Well, we got to most of it, but uh, we were going to talk about transfer portal stuff with quarterbacks this week. We're going to have to push it to Tuesday. We had too much fun talking about these uh, Heisman candidates and all that stuff. And uh, of course, you know, this Tennessee story is huge and it is uh, in in the making, so we are just at the beginning of it. There's going to be so much more that comes out with this, like I just said, as we're recording this for real, like right in the middle of the show, because I knew before Nick, and the only reason I know before Nick is if uh, he is talking and not looking at his phone like I was, uh, that Henry Toyoto uh, is entering the transfer portal. So a uh, mass exodus of talent leaving Tennessee. Uh, that was obviously a huge story, but... Uh, remember, we're going to two shows starting next week, and, and we will be talking about uh, the transfer portal and the guys leaving and all of that stuff on the Tuesday show at the quarterback position. And then on uh, Wednesday, the, this is when we record these. It's not when they come out. The Wednesday show and then the Thursday show that comes out, we will be talking about the uh, you know teams 130 to 121 moving forward from 2020 into 2021. So remember, you can follow us all on Twitter at Bogman Sports for me, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, and at Xavier underscore Trish, T R I C H E. I am going to spell it, Xavier. <laughs> That's my thing now. So um, we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.